Good morning, everybody. So, oh, that was a good song. I like that song. I, I like all those songs. Um, and what I like about those songs is not a single one of those songs was about us, except pointing out how desperately we need our Savior. And I love that. Um, and that's actually what we're talking about this morning. So, I like that. Um, last week, we looked at the first half of John 3. We looked at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And when we got home later that day, my wife and I were talking about it. And I was, you know, just, hey, what do you think? What were your takeaways? Kind of stuff like that. And she summarized it so perfectly. And I wish I would have had it last week. But then I realized it, it works as an excellent introduction for this week. And so as we're talking about Nicodemus and Jesus, she said, I was just struck by how readily we overcomplicate spiritual simplicities. And I thought that was just that was a spot-on analysis, right? That was what Nicodemus did. He was presented with this spiritual simplicity of salvation through Christ. And Nicodemus' response is, okay, so how can I subvert the biological process and re-enter my mother's womb? Right? He goes right to overcomplicating something that's really quite spiritually simple. And we're going to study the second half of John 3 this morning, and we're going to look at another spiritual simplicity that we overcomplicate, and we'll see we've been overcomplicating it this entire time in so many ways. And I don't mean we overcomplicate it always, but we almost immediately as people began to overcomplicate this, and it's continued to be a thorn in the American church, I believe, for this whole time. And make no mistake, when I say spiritual simplicity, when I talk about something that is simple, I don't necessarily mean that that is easy. Simple and easy are not synonymous. A marathon is simple. Start here, run. Cassie, you've done a marathon. Are there any other rules besides run? No. A marathon is simple. A marathon is not easy. I would die. Just throwing it out there. Like where John and Kyle are out there running 100 miles through the woods, I would be dead somewhere, and I'd feed a bear, so that'd be cool. But a marathon may be simple, but a marathon is not easy. Spiritual truths may be simple, but that doesn't mean they are always easy. The spiritual truth we are going to look at today, I believe, is quite simple. But it's not necessarily easy because of who we are and how fallen we are. And that's why I want to take time and study this second half of John. Please join me in prayer before we open God's Word. Lord, May the wonder and the privilege of what we are about to do never leave our hearts. May we never open your word with anything other than a spirit of praise to you that you have given us your word. God, whether we're opening it in pain or in grief or in lostness, whatever is driving us to your word, as we open it, God, may we realize the beauty and the treasure that it is and the life that it is, that you have given it to us, that it is profitable for everything. May your word, may your truth define who we are. And so as we prepare to open it and study it, God, we ask that your spirit would lead us into deeper understanding, that these would not be my words, but yours, that we would not listen with our own ears, but we would listen with your spirit to know you more and to be conformed more to the image of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be in John 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aeneon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. It's talking about John the Baptist. 
Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Did you catch what John the Baptist's disciples did? When we talk about overcomplicating a spiritual simplicity, when we talk about, as this says, don't miss the point, did you catch what John the Baptist's disciples did? And before we begin, I want to define two things. And the first I've defined numerous times, and I will continue to do so, the church. You're going to hear me refer to the church frequently throughout this message. You're also going to frequently hear me refer to ministry, okay? We are the church. We engage in ministry. We are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. The church is not an event. The church is the body. We are the church. What we do is ministry. We engage in ministry. Okay? So our Bible studies, our, this Sunday morning service, this is ministry. Our men's ministry, women's ministry, youth group ministry. That is what we do as the church. So those are the two terms that are going to pop up a lot. And when we talk about missing the point, I'm talking about has the church missed the point of ministry? Because John the Baptist's disciples did. What happens? John the Baptist says time and time again, I am here to point people towards Jesus. And Jesus comes, and John the Baptist's disciples start rushing to Jesus, and people start rushing to Jesus, and John the Baptist's disciples are excited. No, they miss the point. John the Baptist's disciples come to him and they're like, hey, what? hey why aren't people following us anymore? We've lost our place of prominence. We've lost our place of influence. Why? It's not about us. People aren't interested in us anymore. What? John, aren't you upset about this? They missed the point. Listen to their words. Now, a discussion arose. A lot of scholars, when it says discussion, they think it means a pretty heated argument. Arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. They are bothered by this. They are concerned about this. Like I said, this isn't a new problem. But the problem is when you miss the point of ministry, like John the Baptist's disciples did. And this is not a problem that is isolated to this group of individuals. Listen to Paul. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. We're talking about the early church, guys. This is, I mean, this is, 
you know, like you refer to the honeymoon period when things are supposed to go best. The church is so new, it should be going best. And Paul has to write this to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 15. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What's he talking about? Paul goes on to explain. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. Corinthians, they already missed the point. I'm all about following Paul. You only follow Peter. Oh yeah, well I was baptized by Apollos. Paul's like, are you kidding me? Was I, was I crucified for you? Is any of this about me? And Jesus tried to get ahead of this. Let's go back to that passage in John, the very end, which was John 4.2. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. I got to think Jesus knew the hearts of men. The Bible makes that very clear. I don't say I have to think that. The Bible makes it clear. Jesus knows the hearts of men. I have to think Jesus realized that if he himself baptized people, it'd be, oh, that's cute. You were baptized by John. I was, I was baptized by Jesus. I mean, so you have fun being a lesser Christian. I was baptized by Jesus. Because we missed the point. It's happened with John the Baptist's disciples. It's happened with the church in Corinth. This isn't isolated to those two groups either. This isn't isolated to just the people. Let's go back to what Paul says to the early church. This is Paul in Acts, and he's talking to the elders. He's talking to the leadership, the men who have been entrusted with stewardship over the church. He's talking to the elders in Ephesus, and Paul says this. This is Acts 20, starting in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The church has a tragic history of missing the point of ministry. Ministry is never about the people. Ministry is not about the pastors. Ministry is not about the teachers. Ministry cannot be about lifting up a person. And the church has historically missed the point. And I believe you see the church today frequently miss the point. Remember, I've shared this numerous times. I'll remind you again, I have grown up in the, in the church. I love the church. I do. I would give my life for the church. When I say I've grown up in it, I mean literally I was born into ministry, right? From the time, some of my, literally some of my earliest memories are at my dad's youth group. I have been intimately, personally involved in church ministry and parachurch ministry for as long as I can remember both participating in it and then in high school and in college and after college leading it. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had 
or I've listened to where people have said things like, oh yeah, that's the church we're really competing with for numbers. That, yeah, that's the church that took a lot of our people a little bit ago, but you know, then we got some from this other church. Those are the churches that are kind of, they're going up against it for the, for the top two biggest churches in the area. What's wrong with us? I can't tell you how many conversations I've heard I've had with people where people have said things like, oh, if that pastor ever left, yeah, we'd follow him. doesn't matter where they go. We'd follow that pastor. Or, and this, this, this makes me mad when I hear this, and I don't know if you guys realize people do this, and again, I don't know if anyone here does this. I pray. When I, the stuff that we're going to talk about this morning, you have to know I pray about this stuff on a daily basis. But you realize there are people who say things, and I've had conversations with people who say things like, ah, well, we knew that so-and-so was preaching, so we skipped that week. We knew so-and-so was going to be on vacation, so we planned to miss that week. We knew so-and-so was going to be leading worship, so we just, you know, we didn't, we didn't feel like showing up that week. How messed up are we that we have made the point of ministry about the people involved with it? This has happened from the get-go. I would love if we could be the church that breaks that chain. If we could be the church that stops making the point of ministry people. Because it's been a problem going back to John the Baptist's disciples. Hey, John, aren't you mad that people are following Jesus and not you? This is not a new problem. So we have to look at how does John address it because if the, if the disciples, if John the Baptist's disciples missed the point, John understood the point. John gets it. I mean, John the Baptist gets the point of ministry. He replies, they say, are, you know, aren't you baptized? Are you, all these people, are, they're going to him. Aren't you bothered by this? And John replies in verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What's the point of ministry? What's the point of involved with this? Is that the ministry does not belong to the people. This is not our ministry. This is not our church. This does not belong to us. We talk about we want our people to take responsibility for the ministry, but that doesn't mean ownership. We do not own this ministry. It does not belong to me. This is not Sam Belsterling's ministry. This is not your ministry. This is God's ministry that has been given to us. This is God's ministry that has been entrusted to us. We are called stewards of it, overseers of it. A steward does not own that which has been entrusted to them. A steward has been given it to manage it and manage it correctly. Make no mistake, I want us to take responsibility for this ministry. I take full responsibility for this church because I know one day God will hold me accountable. Our elders take responsibility for this church because one day God will hold them accountable. But none of us are under the illusion that we own this ministry. John understood that. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. God and God alone has the sovereign authority to give ministry opportunities to his people. That is what we are engaged in today, a ministry opportunity as stewards of the Lord. Let's go back to Paul, because again, John the Baptist gets it. Paul gets it. Let's go back to Paul in 1 Corinthians. 
But this time we're going to go into chapter 4 as he continues this thought of your division over, well, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow, I follow Paul. And Paul says, no. 1 Corinthians 4, 6-7. through 7, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Listen to this. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. In favor of one against another. If you are in a church and you are saying, yeah, uh, if so-and-so is preaching, I, you know, I really like the other guy better. That's when I know I'll show up. You've gone beyond the word. You are in grave mistake. I I'm sorry. You are. If you think that church is about listening to your favorite person, you have missed the point of the ministry of a service that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We boast about these things. And this, I believe, I want to talk to the leadership for a moment. I want to talk to the elders. I want to talk to the men and women who have taught our classes, who will teach future classes. Do not think that you have received that opportunity because of how great you are. I do not think that I am in this position because of how great I am. If anything, I could give you a laundry list of my failings because I am aware of who I am apart from Christ. Leadership, worship team members, people who will teach and who will instruct, teachers in our children's wing as you teach the kids, you do not have that class because of how just stinking awesome you are. What do you have that you did not receive? If you did not receive or if you, you received it, so why do you boast like you didn't? We have been entrusted as the church with ministry opportunities. Stop making the ministry about people. The ministry must be about God. John the Baptist talks about this. Paul writes about this. And then to go back to John the Baptist, just in case his guys still are missing the point, just in case his disciples still haven't got what he's getting at, he gives them this illustration. What's he say? I love this illustration. He says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. That phrase, friend of the bridegroom, we don't, we don't really have an exact translation for it in our modern, because weddings back then were very different than weddings right now. Friend of the bridegroom, what that meant was, uh, take like you would take aspects of the best man, but also aspects of the officiant of the wedding and aspects of the wedding planner and aspects of the event coordinator, and you'd roll it all up into one person. That's what this, this idea, friend of the bridegroom, is getting at. So this is someone who plays a significant role in the wedding. But is the wedding about them? Who's been in a wedding party before? Not the bride or groom, but who's been in a wedding party before? Anybody? A couple of us? Has anyone officiated a wedding? Couple of us? Leah, you were just in a wedding, and I'm not throwing, I, I asked Leah if I could do this beforehand. Don't get scared that if you show up, I'm just gonna start talking to you. You've been in weddings recently. Did you send out thank you cards saying, hey, thanks for coming out for my big day? Thank you, I really appreciate you guys showing up to celebrate me. It was, it was an honor and a privilege to have you at my big day. Did you send those cards out? Why? 
because she understands that the wedding's not about her. This is what John the Baptist is getting at. He says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears the bridegroom's voice, he's not bothered that people are celebrating the bridegroom. He rejoices in it. I mean, what does John the Baptist say? His disciples, I love this juxtaposition, his disciples are so bent out of shape that John the Baptist's prominence is decreasing and subsequently their prominence, right? John the Baptist's disciples are so bothered that their position of influence is going down and John the Baptist describes it as, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. This is the completeness of my joy. Because John the Baptist got it. He understood the point of his ministry. We must understand, and that's why I wanted to very clearly define the church and the church's ministry at the start. Because the church is the bride of Christ. Listen to these verses. This is Revelation 19.7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So it'd be possible, if you're not paying careful attention, to get confused there. Well, I thought we're the bride, so isn't it kind of about us? I'm not talking about our capacity as the church, as the bride of Christ. I'm talking about our individual roles within the ministry that he has given us. I'm talking about that when we sit in the pews, when we participate in the body of Christ, we can never think... I'm going to say this, and it might sound harsh. I absolutely believe, I've said this before, I would not have accepted this position if I did not believe God was calling me to this position. I accept responsibility for the stewardship of this ministry. If I ever find out that your motive in engaging with this church ministry is me, I will ask you to find a new church. Because I would rather our numbers go down and you take time to get right before the Lord and figure out why it is you participate in the body of Christ than to show up because of me. I, I don't, I, I mean, when I talk about this, I pray about this regularly. And not just me. I, if you said, yeah, you, you know, the only reason I really come to community is for so-and-so's class. They're my motivation in showing up to a, a church ministry service, I would politely ask, then stop coming. Because you have missed the entire point of the ministry that we are engaged in as Christ's bride, as His church. And if you think that God's okay with half-hearted offerings, go back and read Malachi. See what God says about the motives in participating in His church. We can't ever think that the ministry that we engage in is about a person or an individual. So if that's not the point of ministry, if that's not the point, John the Baptist's disciples missed the point, the church in Corinth missed the point, the church in Ephesus was in danger of missing the point, the church today misses the point constantly and regularly. If that's not the point, then what is the point of the ministry of the church? This Sunday morning service that we engage in, what is the point of this, this hour right now? The Bible studies we participate in, the men's retreats, the women's retreats, youth group. What are the points, or rather what is the one singular point of these different ministries that we engage in as the body of Christ, as the church? It must only ever be Jesus the point of any ministry should always be to point people to Christ, to glorify Christ, to lift up the name of Christ. If a ministry is lifting up an individual, it has missed the point. 
A ministry must always glorify Christ and point to Christ. That should drive everything we do is to point people to Jesus. I want to do something a little bit different here. I learned something a couple weeks ago. Uh, I mean, I've learned a a lot of things over the last couple weeks, but I've learned one thing in particular that really stood out to me um, because it was brand new, and it was fascinating and very exciting. In Psalms, right, I want you to think of Psalms with me, and you'll occasionally see little side words in italics or things like that, like maskal, stuff like that, mithtaph, stuff like that. And if you look at the notes in the bottom, it says this is a musical term, this is a musical idea, right? But there's one word that I've always just chalked up to that same category, selah, S-E-L-A-H. And I've always just kind of disregarded it, right? I've never read it aloud when I'm reading the Psalms. I've never even read it in my head if I'm reading them personally. And then recently I learned that that's part of the Psalm. And it's meant to be read. And what it means, what selah means, it's meant to be a pause, It's meant to be a time when you stop and you contemplate, you meditate, you chew on what was just, now in the Psalms, what was just sung or, you know, as poetry read. But it was meant to be a, did you take the time to deal with this? Or did you just move on to the next word? And that really, that was so fascinating to learn that God intends us to have pauses in his word to to digest them and to process them. And so as I've been reading the Bible, ever since I learned that, I've been taking times, if not every time, but if there's a verse or a passage that just, you know, one of those sucks you or socks you in the gut, right? Like just a punch that drives the wind out of you. You're like, whoa, that's a big verse. That's heavy. There's some meat to that. I've been taking time to close my Bible and just be quiet before God to reflect on what I just read. And I want to do that this morning. Because I understand one of the complaints in our lives is our busyness. Our schedules are so full, and it's amazing to me that even with the, the shutdown that has happened across our country, how many people I still talk, hear us talk about how busy they are and how they just don't have time for God and for things like that. And so I want to give us some time this morning to take a selah, to pause and reflect on what we're about to read. Because if we've said that the point of a ministry cannot be people, but the point of a ministry must be to glorify and exalt God, to point to the person of Jesus. John the Apostle, as he wrote John 3, as he was prompted by the Holy Spirit, he lays out the qualifications of Christ. He has just presented the argument for a ministry must be to point to Jesus. And now he lays out the qualifications of Jesus. And so Sarah's going to come up. And I'm going to read these words. I'm going to read these verses. This is John 3, 31 to 36, or 35, 31 to 35. And I want us to listen. Listen to the qualifications of Christ as the only person who deserves to have a ministry point to. And then we're going to take time and we're going to be still and quiet before the Lord to just just chew on the weight of these verses. Every day as I've read this passage, I have loved the time after of doing nothing but thinking on them. Please stand. I mean, these are the qualifications of Christ. Please please stand for this time of reflection. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. 
He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Please be seated and just just take time to reflect. I want to read those again. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. You and I belong to the earth. We speak in an earthly way. How in the world could we think that we are above all? That the point of a ministry, do you know how weak and pointless a ministry would be where I was the purpose of it? I mean, talk about an insipid just pointless ministry that a person from the earth would be the focal point of it he who is from above is above all he who comes from heaven is above all he bears witness to what he has seen and heard yet no one receives his testimony whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this that god is true For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. What are these qualifications of Christ? His heavenly origin, verse 31. And this goes back to what Jesus himself told Nicodemus in verse 13. He says, no one has descended... Or no one has ascended to heaven except he who has descended, the Son of Man. Jesus staked his claim as the only Messiah, the only Savior. Jesus is qualified to be the point of ministry because he is from above and is above all. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What else qualifies Jesus to be the point of ministry? He knows truth from firsthand experience. I believe that this is true. I have seen the truth of it play out in my own life. 
I believe God is true. I believe God's word is true. Therefore, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I do not believe that because of my first-hand experience. I was not there watching when God created the heavens and the earth. I did not see God speak it into existence. Jesus is qualified to be the point of any and every ministry because He knows what is true from personal, first-hand experience. Who on earth could lay claim to that? John 1, verse 1 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the beginning. What else qualifies Jesus to be the point of any ministry? He experiences the Holy Spirit in a perfect relationship in perfect fellowship, in the fullness of the Trinity. We cannot be the Trinity. We cannot... Uh, the, the, I don't even like saying those words. The ego that you have to have, the evil that has to be in your heart to claim equality with the Trinity that we can be in this life. Don't, don't get me wrong. We're not talking about glorification. We're not talking about heaven. We're not talking about one day. I'm talking about right now. Sam Belsterling, flesh and blood in this life. To think that I can get to a point where, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly synonymous with Jesus. There's no sin in my life. The Bible says it clearly. If anyone claims to be without sin, he is a liar. Jesus experiences the Trinity in his time on earth as man, fully man and fully God, Emmanuel. He experienced the Holy Spirit in perfection. John 1, 32-33, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, John the Baptist, I was sent to baptize with water, he who sent me said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What did Paul say? Were you baptized in my name? Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Raise your hand if you will bring forth justice to the nations. There's no way I'm putting my hand up. So there's no way that a ministry should point to me or point to any of you. What's another qualification? I love this one. This is, this is I love all of these, but verse 35 the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Jesus is qualified to be the point of ministry because God has sovereignly granted Him highest status. John 5, 22-23, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think of your favorite preacher. Think of your favorite pastor, your favorite Christian author, your favorite Christian worship leader. Think of your favorite Christian, alive or dead. Right, The person that you're like, whoo, that's the pinnacle. For me, I'm probably thinking of, I love C.S. Lewis. I love A.W. Tozer. Honestly, more modern. And when I say this, 
I realize that nobody's perfect, right? There are things in different people's lives that we could nitpick at, right? Like more modern, I love Francis Chan. Francis Chan was head pastor of one of the largest churches in America, one of the largest global churches. He was getting international acclaim like few others. And a visitor sent him an email and said, hey, I was really disappointed. I showed up Sunday just to hear you preach, and I found out it was one of your other pastors preaching. That was, that was a letdown. And Francis Chan replied with, well, that's a shame because that man's a phenomenal preacher, and he brought a, God, a God-given word. And Francis Chan received that email, and he immediately began to initiate steps to remove himself from the ministry because he hated the idea that the ministry had become about him. So when I'm thinking of this, this person, right, this Christian that I put at the top, he might be in that list. There's not a single person I can think of who meets those qualifications except for Christ. And I hope I'm not bursting your bubble, but whoever you're thinking of, they don't meet those qualifications. I'm assuming my wife is thinking about me. Hun, I don't, I don't meet those qualifications. The point of ministry cannot be anyone other than Jesus. A ministry must exist in everything it does to point people to God. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can't have at a men's retreat, you can't go play paintball for two hours. Right? I'm not saying at a women's retreat, you can't stay up and play cards until two in the morning just having fun talking about, you know, not necessarily the Bible. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't sit around the fire. I'm not saying that ministry can only happen within the context of we are reading the Bible. I'm saying the point of a ministry must be to point people to Jesus. John the Baptist's disciples, they missed that. And when you look at how John the Baptist talked about his ministry, I think it's funny that he even reminded him. He's like, guys, you yourself bore witness of me that I said I came to point people to Christ. I have to imagine there was an element of just pure frustration and like, are you kidding me with John the Baptist? Because if you look at John the Baptist's words, he is constantly saying, Jesus, Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, go to Jesus, find Jesus, meet Jesus. And then the people come to him and they're like, hey, John the Baptist, it's not about you. Isn't that bothering you? I have to imagine John the Baptist was like, when has it ever been about me? John the Baptist's disciples missed the point. The church in Corinth missed the point. Well, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Paul. No. Did any of them die for you? Were any of them resurrected for you? Were you baptized in their name? Churches today, so many ministries you see are about glorifying the people. That's not growth. Growth, I've said this, I think I even said this to the search committee. I would rather a church of 50 people who get it than 500 who don't. Give me, give me a group of Christians who understand that the point is Christ and Christ alone. I don't care what the size is. That's a church I want to be a part of. That's a body I want to belong to. That is my prayer. I mean, daily, that is my prayer for this body. That we would be a church whose ministry in everything we do is designed with one purpose to point people to Christ. I can't challenge every Christian 
At least I don't think every Christian in the world is watching our live stream. Be kind of cool, right? 17 million or whatever. I don't think we are. I can't talk to every Christian in the world right now. I can talk to you guys. I can talk to anybody who's listening online. I want to challenge you specifically. And when I say specifically, I mean specifically you. Take this challenge personally. First, to all of us, I include myself in this absolutely first and foremost, to all of us, we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. As such, we will find ourselves under the stewardship, under the leadership of people that God has raised to be the leadership of His church. Do not miss the point. Do not ever miss the point and think that whether it's this ministry, whether it's past ministries, whether it's future churches, whatever church body you find yourself in, do not ever think that the point of that ministry is to remind people how great the pastor and the staff are. It's a challenge for all of us. Second, I want to challenge the leadership. I want to challenge the people who find themselves in the spotlight, if you will. I want to challenge the people who teach our classes, the people who lead our Bible studies, the people who lead our children, lead our youth. I want to challenge the people who lead our worship. Don't ever think that that ministry is yours because of how great you are. That ministry has been given to you by God. That ministry has been given to you as an opportunity to glorify Him. It is not about you. Sam, your preaching is not about you in any way, shape, or form. And finally, I want to challenge the elders specifically. I want to challenge the elders who are currently here, and I want to challenge the elders in this church who will rise up and become elders, whether or not they know it, whether or not we know it, whether or not there are kids here who are going to be elders one day. Elders, I want to challenge you, and I'm going to... shouldn't have been elders if you didn't want me to use your name. Phil. You got me? I got Phil. Mike? Right here? Don't you two ever allow a wolf to come into this body. Don't you ever allow... What did Paul say? From among your own selves... Oh, where'd Dan go? Oh, there he is. That's why I said... I didn't forget you. I love Dan. I just I was looking for him there and he wasn't there. All right, Dan. I got Dan too. Don't you ever think that the leadership of this church, that you yourselves are immune to the arrogance and the ego that can seep in. I pray about this in my own life constantly. Don't you three ever allow this church to miss the point. If you see this church start to lift up a person, if you see this church body start to exalt a person, start to make it about a person or people, stop us immediately with whatever it takes. I challenge you three of that. You guys have been given. I mean, what did, what did that say? The Holy Spirit has appointed as overseers, as stewards, so don't ever allow this body to miss the point that we must point to Jesus and Jesus alone. It is not about me. It is not about James. It is not about Esther. It is not about any of our teachers. It is not about anyone other than Jesus' glory and His alone. Don't let us miss the point. 
Because I believe a church that gets it, a church that gets it like John the Baptist did, a church that gets it like Paul did, I believe that is the church that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against. A church that is devoted to glorifying Christ and Christ alone, to lifting up Christ and Christ alone. I said that was one of the reasons I love those songs this morning, because every one of those songs was about praising God and God alone. That is the point of ministry. That can only ever be the point of ministry. The moment you start to allow the ministry of a church, again, we are the church. What we do is a ministry. Sunday morning service is a ministry. The moment we allow this Sunday morning service to be about anything other than glorifying Jesus' name, we've missed the point. And on every level, we must guard our hearts against that and fight against that. I'm excited. And honestly, I think we see a lot of that in this body. I do. I, I love talking to the people we have leading this ministry. I love talking to Matt and to the worship team. I love being part of their prayer time in the morning before the service and, and just hearing their hearts pour out for God. I do. I, I respect the people we have because I, I think our leadership gets it. And I think it shows itself in their approach to ministry. I want this to be a church united in following Christ and Christ alone. Not following people, not remembering who baptized us, but in whose name we were baptized. That's a church that I'm overjoyed to be a part of and that I will fight for with my last breath. Please join me in prayer. God, Remind us constantly that this is not our church, that this is your church purchased with your blood, that we don't own this, we can't claim this, we haven't earned this. We are all sinners in need of mercy. We have been washed, we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ, as our salvation, and we praise you for that. And so as we engage in the ministry opportunities you've given us, and I mentioned the ones specifically that we engage in as a church body, but I think of the ministry opportunities that we engage in as individuals, whether or not we realize them as such. The ministry opportunities we have with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our family members, with our friends. In everything we do as your bride, let the burden on our heart be to point to the bridegroom. Make our joy complete as we see people celebrate you and come to you. We love you and we praise you in all things. You are sovereign in all things. You and you alone are qualified to be the point. Remind us of that. Remind me of that. God, whatever thorn in my flesh it takes to, to burn out arrogance. And I confess it is so easy to think I'm doing a good job. To think, yeah, that was a pretty good sermon. God, never, never let me think that. Never let my concern be with saying something people will like to hear or want to hear. 
Burden me to only speak words that glorify You and point to You. Burden our teachers with that. I pray that You would weigh that on James's heart so heavily as he prepares every talk, every sermon that he gives up here, every talk that he has with our youth, that his drive would be to glorify You and You alone. Burden Esther with that as she engages with our women as she prepares Bible studies, as she prepares one-on-one conversations, God, burden Esther to only seek your glory and yours alone. Give our elders courage. Give them the backbones to stand firm for you and you alone, even if it means confronting a friend. Give them a spirit of ferocity to defend your flock against the wolves. And God, as the church, as members of the church, as individual members of the church, give us hearts that beat for you and you alone, that yearn for you and you alone. So if we ever find ourselves under false leadership, if we ever find ourselves under false instruction, we don't accept it. That we would pursue you and you alone in church and in the ministry of our lives. Jesus, we lift you up. And we lift our eyes to you and you alone. Amen. Please stand with us.